another episode of Dr. Me First. I don't know about you, but it has been hot as hell here in Indiana, and I am so looking forward to the fall. Right now, I'm staring out my office window, and I can see the soybeans are turning dark brown. Corn is kind of yellow right now. It's not quite ready to turn all the way over, but we're starting to have some red leaves pop. So I am an apple person in the fall. None of this pumpkin spice bullshit. So I am looking forward to apple cider, pumpkins, and all the fun things like that. My alpha female wolf pup even tried to rake leaves this weekend because she is ready to be jumping in leaves. So I hope that you are ready for this fall and that it is going to be a great turn of seasons for you as well. I have got a really fun guest that I interviewed today, Dr. Fadid Nukta. He's a board certified, that's right, he, board certified plastic surgeon. He's the founder and director of Nova Plastic Surgery and Dermatology in Virginia. He actually did hand and reconstructive. We talk a little about that in the podcast, but he brings his own unique personal experience in plastic and cosmetic surgery today. He grew up in Syria and he harbored an unwavering dream of moving to the U.S. and pursue his passion and become a renowned plastic surgeon. Not only does he talk about medicine today, he is just an incredible person, and I'm so excited to share our conversation. Okay, well, let's get into it. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast. An amazing guest that I'm so excited to jump in with. It's a he, him. So everybody out there who knows, I don't get too many of these on the podcast. So I'm really excited to introduce Dr. Fadi Nukta. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So got the reach out email connection before we hopped on the podcast. We realized we had a Midwestern connection, which is pretty exciting. So why don't you tell all the people out in podcasting world a little bit about yourself? So I'm Fadi Nukta, a plastic surgeon. I practice in, uh, in the Nova area, Northern Virginia area in uh, uh, Virginia. I've been, uh, I opened my practice, Nova Plastic Surgery, in 2011. Our practice kind of went into multiple uh, transformation where initially I was primarily a reconstructive uh, surgeon. And then over the years, we grew up the med spa portion of the practice. And now I uh, practice uh, uh, strictly cosmetic uh, surgery of the breast and body. I love it. And the idea that you had initially brought, we've got a couple ideas to talk on, but I really want to hear about your perspective on the fads in in plastic surgery and like what's the tried and true, because we're all scrolling on Instagram or we're seeing these things on TikTok. I mean, I've even thought about like, "Mm, what do I need to do with this under chin right here? So talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing that's changed over the last 12 years that you've been in practice and, and all the stuff with the fads. Yeah. I mean, definitely the last, you know, 10, 10 years have been, uh, had witnessed tremendous changes in, in plastic surgery. It is the gold era of, of plastic surgery and, you know, kind of cosmetic medicine in general. Uh, one of the most important things that we notice is the increase in popularity of non-surgical procedures. Those continue to, you know, increase year after year. And this is, you know, helping us do less, surgery or less invasive surgery. But also with social media, uh, there have been a lot of trends now. So it's it's funny because in the past, 
when you and I go to conferences quite a bit, plus surgery conferences, usually the the discussions were all geared by kind of medicine and then how we can help patients. And now it is changing slowly that, well, patients are asking about this procedure, so let's talk about it, right? Uh, so it is it is good and bad. There are procedures that are now kind of trends uh, that before they were not, you know, plastic surgery trends. Now there are trends and they're very easy to kind of uh, spread very easily where tons of doctors end up doing them. And then two years later, we go to the conference to talk about, okay, how do you reverse that, you know, procedure? Uh, this happened, another wave happened in the 90s, for example, where really large breast implants became very popular. And then in the early 2000s, women were taking those implants and put them in out. Now, some of the trends that you see now is this huge, you know, Brazilian butt lifts. And then again, two years later, now you start seeing people, you know, taking them out. So the idea is the principles should not change, you know, what's beautiful, what's not trying to make someone harmonious for themselves, not to look like someone else's celebrity. Uh, those are true tried methods. And then try to kind of stretch beyond that kind of puts, uh, can potentially put people in trouble. Absolutely. I was just getting ready to say I had to, I didn't have to, but I did some surgical medical clearances for some young women for the Brazilian butts. And I know one of them now has gone back a couple of years later and had it reversed. <laughs> so, well, it's I crazy. Mean, Sometimes you see pictures and you're is. like, well, that's not even, it doesn't even, it's not even human anatomy anymore. It doesn't look like it's just kind of this, I don't know, hybrid. Um, it just does not look aesthetically pleasing. So if we stick with what's aesthetically pleasing, that does, it changes a little bit over time, but it's it just kind of, stay within you know, the normal range, then we can avoid a lot of you know complications and going back and reversing a lot of these procedures. Yeah. And having multiple procedures or surgeries, which increases, you know, risk of, of right. adverse exactly. and that sort of thing. This is just me picking your brain, but I imagine you kind of have to screen your patients to make sure that there's not like a body dysmorphia, like they want to look like a manga character. And, and like you said, trying to not just think of what the want is for the now, but how this is going to age into the future. How do you do that in your practice? I'm family medicine. I do addiction medicine. So it, it's always interesting for me to kind of peer back behind the curtain on the surgical side with you guys. Right. Yeah. So I think, and it's, it's funny that because we can have that, you know, when, when you take care of addiction patients, there is some overlap, right? So when we're yes. doing an interview, there is an interview. It's We always say it's a two-way interview. When I have a consultation, it's a two-way interview. The patient is deciding whether to have the surgery with the surgeon or not, whether to have the surgery or not. And I'm deciding whether the risk-reward ratio in this patient is, is worth going through it. We always think about it for a patient who gets their surgery and everything goes well. We see them for about you know a few, few times afterwards. We see them up to a year after surgery to kind of check on them. Uh, the patient who gets a surgery that is not you know ideal or gets into complication this is a patient that i'm going to see very very often right so you want to decide how you're going to proceed is this something worth doing or not so some of the red flags we see and those are kind of and it's it's funny just to digress for a little bit for in europe there is a requirement to send a lot of cosmetic surgery patients to a kind of psych psychological evaluation to rule out body dysmorphic disorder here we don't have it but we have the ability to select some patients to, to to you know kind of indirectly ask them to do it or decline doing the surgery some of the signs is someone who has very minor changes and think that those changes are kind of fixing that real you know lot minor defects is going to have tremendous uh, improvement to their quality of life, right? And so if someone has, and then sometimes it's not, sometimes if someone has, for example, a very 
very, very large nose, for example, and it's completely disproportionate to their face, well, then then everybody kind of agrees that this is something that is uh, warranted. Someone who has, let's say, very minor uh, defects to their nose, so you start kind of digging, why, why are you trying to do it? And then if something, you know, in the conversation says, you know, comes up as a well, my dad has that nose and I hate my dad. Well, that's a that's a big red flag, right? This is one of the biggest red flags that we try to kind of determine that this patient is really having for what we consider, you know, good reasons to have plastic surgery or it's really uh, a, a kind of psychological underlying issue. So we tried, the conversation ends up being kind of more of a, kind of following the, the, the topic to, to determine if this would be a good fit. And then so we say, you know what, the risk risk, the reward risk ratio in you is really, not that significant, especially we're doing cosmetic surgery. We're not doing cancer surgery here, right? So the risk ratio has to be very, very low for us. The risk to reward has to be very low for us to to kind of proceed on that procedure. Absolutely. Going back to to that, what you're talking about with, with patients and stuff. I know one thing being family medicine, you know, we have our GLPs that we're using a lot for weight loss. And now that I've I mean, I started prescribing Victoza way back when it it first came out. So I know that's one thing that I'm noticing in my patient population type is then like the skin. I know one lady told me she has ozempic neck and I had to go Google it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to figure out what she's doing with it. But what what trends are you seeing now in 2023 that are kind of coming out? I just, like I said, the one thing that I, it popped in my head was the Ozempic neck because of that weight loss. Yeah, this year it's the Ozempic neck, you know, kind of weight, massive weight loss, you know, necks. That's, it's, it's common. A neck lift usually is the, is the treatment, you know. Uh, before that, it was, we had Zoom neck last year, two years ago with, when COVID started. It was the Zoom neck because someone was looking at Zoom and suddenly they're seeing their kind of faces oh. from different angles, discovering things that they didn't, you know, discover before. Uh, usually the underlying factor is the same, right? You, uh, rapid weight loss on someone who's a little on the older side will have, will leave some skin laxity, right? It's not a, it can happen if you, now the more, the more aggressive and fast the weight loss, the skin is not given enough time to really retract. Also, if someone has, you know, significant, you know, patients who get, for example, gastric bypass or gastric yeah. sleeve and lose amount of weight, well, it's great that they lost the weight, but it, they, they're going to expect to have some, you know, uh, laxity in the skin. Usually, regardless of the of the reason, whether it's uh, surgical weight loss, massive weight loss from medications, or even really strict diet and exercise will lead to some skin laxity. But if you, again, if you go look at the benefits of, of the weight loss versus the benefit, uh, you know, of, of the, the side effect of having, you know, some lax skin, I'll choose the lax skin over that. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. That's what I was telling them too. I was like, I think this is absolutely a good thing with it. So talking about the tried and true surgical techniques, do you feel like within your specialty, there's kind of like the fringers who aren't sticking to that? Or is it more, are you feeling like the um, nurse-led medispas that you worry about as far as not adhering to kind of like standard of care? Yeah, yeah. I think the in the past, I remember, you know, 20 years ago when I was in residency, we had a talk about the future of medicine and how before, you know, in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, it was very dis- easy to distinguish different doctors with different specialties, right? So the, the the GI doctors did this and then practiced this and they looked like this. The surgeons did this 
uh, the dermatologist did this, the ENT did this. And then over the years, because of the rise of non-surgical techniques, it became more of a kind of like, what a, what is a surgeon versus a cosmetic surgeon for versus, a, uh, you know, a plastic surgeon is a dermatologist does that. So it becomes, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, kind of um, less clarity on the, on the specialties. This allowed a lot of, you know, less qualified people to enter the pool with kind of, and for, it's hard for people to say for the client, for the patient to determine who's what. So it becomes more of an issue of the, and the duty of the patient itself to really educate themselves on where am I, who am I seeing? Is this person board certified? Is this their specialty? Now, I'm not saying only plastic surgeons are specialized, you know, are uh, qualified to do injectables. I'm not saying that by, by any means, you know, dermatologists, plastic surgeons, ENTs for facial plastic surgery. So it depends on, on your, on your training. But at the same time, the patient has to do their homework of what kind of, you know, qualifications this person had. So it becomes, I really puts more, responsibility on the patient to take care of, to really be an educated consumer on who they're doing, who they are going to and trust in their face with. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you had mentioned this before we got on the podcast, really the business of medicine has definitely changed. You know, I do a lot in the burnout sphere where some people are just looking to, I just want work to be easier, or I just need to change being primary care. It, some days it is a very heavy yoke to carry versus if I were to transition and do superficial derm procedures type things. I, and I think for some people, that's part of their healing journey. But what would you recommend? Because a majority of people listening are physicians to this podcast. Mm-hmm. When it comes to those non-surgical procedures that they maybe are toying around with or thinking, mm-hmm. I, would, I would like to pursue that. Our license, let's talk about physicians, right? So I'm not talking about an esthetician in, you know, some state that decides to do injectables. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about physicians, you know, DOs, MDs who have uh, different specialties. Our practice, our scope of of practice is medicine, right? Is in, in Virginia, our scope of practice is medicine and surgery. So regardless of what specialty you're in, you can choose to do, you know, parts of other specialties. Now, I don't think if you're a primary care physician, you're going to go and start doing breast augmentations, or even if you're a general surgeon, right? But for Botox, for for injectables in general, there's no reason, no reason why you can't, you know, get appropriate training and then start doing it slowly on patients, right? I don't see why, and I see people that do it successfully. Uh, now, the issue with it becomes, and now we're moving into the kind of the business of medicine, right? The the issue with it is, do you jump all in, right, and switch because a practice, a primary care physician practice does not look or feel or kind of have the same flow as an aesthetic practice, right? And I used to have that in, in you know, 2016 where I was doing traumatic cannon surgeries, right? So I was, I was taking care of patients who had, you know, uh, chainsaws and, and table saw injuries to their fingers. But on the same day, I was soon seeing a patient for a facelift and it never fit, right? The, our lobby did not look right. The, the, the patient's flow did not, was not the same. It was kind of scattered. So in 2018, we said, okay, let's, let's jump all in right now. I had, I had a mess spa that was, you know, uh, a flourishing. So it wasn't, it wasn't such a big uh, change, but still there was a significant change. So, so one, one way to do it is to kind of do the appropriate training and 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 I by appropriate training I don't mean it's a it's a weekend course right appropriate training you know doing doing online courses and going to conferences and trying to do it and then slowly trying to integrate it in the practice but there're going to be a day where you say you know what, I'm going to do either this or this I don't think you can you can do successfully do both I know that from our experience over the 10 years 
And just to give you a little background, so my practice has two plastic surgeons, eight physician assistant uh, inject that do injections, and we have two estheticians. So we are a larger practice. However, over the years, we're becoming actually more and more focused on less amount of procedures, and we're more focused on our core specialty than trying to kind of jump into, you know, try and do this and this and this and this. So what happens is the practice grows, but the focus gets even smaller, not wider. Yeah, because you... This is the struggle with family medicine. Yeah. <laughs> is that, you know, at times, you know, you're a generalist, you know, trying to track down those things. And so I can see absolutely right. where it's, it's hard. Just going back, this is just my like coaching brain kicking in because you are fellowship trained in hand, correct? You, went, you were in Louisville for that. That decision to, to put that part of your practice aside and move into what you're doing now. How long did it take you to make that decision? So it wasn't overnight, right? It was after my hand after my hand surgery training. I did full residency in plastic surgery, right? So I was trained on 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 both. I was doing more hand, and then a lot of factors happened. One of them is I got tired of of working in the ER, right? At night, you know, unpredictable schedule. I just wanted to spend time with my family, you know. So so it became, and then it became harder and harder to do it. And at the same time, I was looking at my med spa and the non-surgical part of my practice, that part was growing, right? It wasn't this kind of huge where I had to like kind of completely quit one thing and start the other. In terms of in terms of procedure practices, I was trained on both and I just decided, okay, I'm gonna have to give up on something. You can't be good at everything, right? And and there is a dip, you know, if you think about it, we go to medical school, that's a dip because our friends who did not go to medical school and started working earlier, they they started making higher incomes much sooner than when we did, than we did. And then we go to residency and then our friends who didn't go right, you know, so, so it's, it's a sacrifice. You have to do that. You have to do the investment. So, I mean, that's the definition of, of investment An investment is kind of delaying the immediate gratification for future, you know, gratification. And that's what, that's what I did. It was significant. It was kind of scary because I went from, you know, being, be having a full schedule of patients to kind of almost zero over not, I don't say overnight, but over, you know, a few months, and then kind of pick up the the plastic surgery portion. But again, my my business as a as a med spa was already established, and I already had to I only had to kind of sacrifice one department, which was trauma, you know, reconstructive surgery into aesthetic surgery. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story because I know when I was trained in obstetrics as well, and uh, I loved doing it. But after kid number two, I just realized I couldn't keep up the late nights and the staying at the hospital right. and managing an active labor and, and all that kind of thing. And so I, I gave that up and there is a certain amount of loss and grief. I think that we all experience as we like figure things out. But what the other thing is too, I like to remind people that it's not a loss. You, you got the experience, you did amazing things. No one can take that, that away from you. And I remind people too, like you can put that up on the shelf and maybe at some point that will play a part in life, be it a lecture or how you connect with someone or, you know, whatever, as far as with that. But I just really appreciate you sharing that story because I think so many of us have gone through that process and we kind of just don't talk about it. We're like, oh, well, it was just the next thing without really realizing that it, it does kind of have an impact when I know I have a friend, she used family medicine, 
started getting really overwhelmed and burned out. She did a lot of derm procedures when she was in the army. So she said, you know, I'm going to start my practice doing 50-50, you know, 50% family medicine and then derm. And since I'm in a rural area where we don't have a dermatologist and we only have a traveling plastic surgeon that comes into the community every so often, she became like a very vital part when you had some pretty intensive skin cancers and that sort of thing that, that she was trained to handle it. And I know still talking to her, she actually transitioned and, and does something a little bit different now in women's health. But there's always like those chapters in our professional life that we we think about, right? And we go back to. And I think it's just amazing to see how people continue to have that capacity for change. And then just knowing like, I didn't anticipate how much different I would be in my 40s when I was in med school in my 20s, you know, and how different the practice I envisioned back then actually looks now. Yeah. One thing that, and I think you you just alluded to it, one thing that made my decision easy to kind of switch to easier to switch from reconstructive to aesthetics is that I real I thought to myself, well, I can go back, right? It's not like uh, you can do something, you try it. And if it's not, if it's, uh, it's, um, you decide to go back to it. It's not a nothing. Nobody stops you. You know, just it's a brush on your your skills if you you've gone, you know, you you got a little rusty. But it's not like we lose it and we can't go again. And every time you're doing something, it's if you think about it, like you said, it's the practice kind of decides how it's going to grow. And uh, now I do much more, you know, breast kind of mommy makeovers only because I happen in an area where we have a lot of those patients. So when I kind of geared my practice toward that, if I was in a different part of the country or the world, I would be doing more, you know, nose jobs and rhinoplasties. And it's it's different. And then when I was in Kentucky, I did only hand surgery because that was, you know, the center was for hand surgery. So it's not like you... That's it. You can't go back. I remember. So the, I told you like the decision was, was over a month, but there's a day when I said, that's it. I'm not going to do ER call. And on that day I had a, I had a knee surgery. I had ACL and I was recovering at home and I kind of, I had to give away call. And I remember every night when I would go to bed and I would turn my phone off and put it on airplane mode. I felt that the cortisol level is just like plummeting in my blood. I was like, Oh, so I was, when I was living waiting for a call, right? The call to, to happen. And you never, it's so funny. You dreaded the call until it happens and then you go and you're fine, right? But then I realized, well, I was living in this kind of chronic stress yeah. that I'm waiting for that call to happen. And then when I turn my phone off and I realize I can go to bed and I'm not afraid of getting interrupted in the middle of the night, that level of stress went down significantly. So I said, you know what? Sometimes like you don't realize, a fish doesn't realize it's in the water until it's out of the water. You don't realize that you're so stressed until you kind of cha- make that change, you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's much easier now. So that was actually the day when I said, that's it, I need to, I need to quit call and, and then just kind of find something yeah. else. Man, sleep is the best medicine. Uh, I'm telling you. Oh my God. You know, and it's, it's figuring that out before your body or life crashes and breaks to pieces. You know, right. I find so many people who have just been in that chronic stress cycle that, they, they are in a bad place and I'm more than happy to walk with them at kind of the bottom of the barrel. But it is, and I guess I'm saying to everybody who's listening, like finding that before you crash and burn, you know, there's that inner knowing that something's going on. And that's why I think it's so important now that we're refiguring out life after COVID. I know a lot of people going on retreats, taking trips, you know, taking sabbaticals, stepping away is like you said, it took an ACL surgery for you to step away and to see like, whoa, 
this is this is much better. I know women who go on maternity mm-hmm. leave and it's like the least stressful part of their life having a baby right. than going to work every single day. And so I would encourage everybody listening to do that work today. Sit down and think about it. Is there some aspect of your work that it's just time to say like, yeah, no more and to positively influence your life because no job is worth your mental health. I don't care what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Fadi, it's been so great sitting down talking with you. You have an Instagram account. We'll make sure that we get that in the show notes and LinkedIn. Any of my East Coaster, Virginia physician colleagues, you know, reach out to, to Dr. Nupta. He sounds like an amazing guy. I want to come visit you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll have to have more welcome. conversations yeah. about it. And thank you so much for reaching out and coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. Hey, friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends, slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, (laughs) the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. You're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails. But you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make this the year of slacking. All right, friend, remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. Thanks again, Dr. Nuta, for coming and talking with me. Thank you for sharing your experience. As a person on the medical side, sometimes I think of you surgeons as these like big superheroes. And it was just so, just got my heart so much when you shared your story that, you know, your struggles are my struggles and my struggles are your struggles. And I just want to put out there for all the listeners that you are not doing this alone. You really aren't. How you are feeling is how many of us have felt And the thing right now, the worst thing that you could do is isolate. I really want to encourage you to plug in to connection and community. 
you know, I talk about this. Actually, I'm writing a little book that's called The Power of Sabbaticals. And I'm really going to start digging into that a little bit more because if work is your drug, then rest is your detox. And I really want to help share my experience. And those are the people that I've helped who have found rest to be restorative and to find recovery in their life so that not only can they just come back, but they can come back better. So I'd encourage you to take a break. Maybe that's just like sitting 30 minutes in silence at home instead of turning a podcast on or an ebook or music on Amazon Music. Just sitting in silence and quiet, taking that auditory rest. Maybe it's taking a walk outside, take your shoes off, sit down on some grass, some leaves as the fall come on, get a, a chair and just enjoy and rest from the mental all the things that are going all the time too. And also I want you to encourage physical rest as well. We can get to where we're like, we got to do this. We got to pick up the groceries. Got to run this kid to tennis practice. Got to take this kid to karate. That's just a snapshot of my afternoon where it's really important that we find a way that we can physically restore and rest. Maybe that's yoga. Maybe that is some other form of bringing energy back into your physical body. I love to sit in my hot tub. I'm a total Scorpio water element. It invigorates me. But find those things in your life too. And the last thing to do is with spiritual rest and recovery. Maybe it's time that you sit down and talk with a therapist, with a coach, a spiritual leader in your community. Because in this work that we do in medicine, we definitely get spiritual wounds where we feel like our soul is sucked dry or that we're unable to do the work that we're really called to. And we have to be attuned to those as well. So friend, what I'm encouraging you to do is do less and listen to your body, your mind, your spirit more. Remember the badass in me honors the badass in you and that your life, your calling, your pulse really matters. See ya.